0: Hi, this is Roger Joseph Manning, Jr., and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Michael Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business.
1: Introducing Spotify Fan Study. The fight over music streaming royalties misses the point. Apple Music announces Spatial Audio and Dolby Atmos will bring lossless audio to entire catalog. And Music First warns
0: Congress of radio's misleading narrative on rights to sound recordings. We've got this, we've got more, we've got Jay Gilbert out of town when we're doing our first remote (laughs) broadcast thing, and this is episode number 41, and this is the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. Stand by for
2: transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air, 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 for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart.
0: Top of the morning, Jay. You are in the great state of Colorado as we, uh, yeah. as we talk here on, uh, on a Sunday yeah. morning and this is our first yeah. time with, with you being someplace else, and I'm sure there's going to be more now as, as we're going to be getting out of town a as little As things
1: loosen up a little bit. Yeah, I hope so. It'll be interesting to see how we figure this out, but yes, I'm in beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado. My daughter just finished year three at Colorado State. Go Rams! And uh, <laughs> exactly. I will be home in time for dinner.
0: You gotta love that. You gotta love that. And by the way, that chap, the man who is in Fort Collins, Colorado, is Jay Gilbert. He's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which if you don't know by now, you should. It's weekly music news for the new music business and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment and a man who was so confident with himself that he would <laughs> admit that the first LP he ever bought was a Donnie Osmond record.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to kill you for that. Uh, Mike is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, and is a really great square dancer, um, by the way. Uh, most people don't know that, but uh, it's uh, it's quite remarkable. So um, how about that intro? Roger Joseph Manning, Jr.
0: Uh. Of course, uh, one of the one of the bands that we completely bonded over when we first met was Jellyfish, and uh, yeah. we, of course, and we worked in the at, uh, in a division at Universal that had Albie Galuton, who produced those those two records that we all yeah. still go back to and just yeah, just love
1: and fun yeah. to hear
0: from him, and he's got a lot going on. He's got a couple, He's got a side yeah. project. He's got a solo record.
1: Well, you know, he he plays keyboards for Beck. Mm -hmm. Um, He's in a, a little ensemble called the Licorice Quartet, and they've just released their second EP with two uh, other members, former members of Jellyfish, Eric Dover and Tim Smith, which are really good. He's got his solo albums out finally, Mm. uh, available everywhere, physical, digital, vinyl, download, stream, um, which is fantastic. He's a a client and a friend, and one of my all-time favorites, Roger Joseph Manning Jr. So nice to hear from him this morning, which is cool. Well, let yeah. us jump in, Jay. Well, uh, before we do, a oh, couple do. of things really quickly. Go ahead. Um, let's let's thank our sponsors. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, we're both caffeinated, so please pardon us. Uh, <laughs> you know, your morning coffee p- podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bandzoogle. Built by musicians, for musicians. Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All of the features you need for a professional website are already built in, like ho- hosting in a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations. They do everything, man. Live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com. Try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off Your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. And we are so fortunate
0: to get a chance to work with HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And, of course, Bands in Town has over 55 million live music fans that trust Bands. In town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Huge thanks to Band Hypebox, Bands in Town. Boy, we sure appreciate it.
1: We really do. So so last night, I finally got to watch that Cream magazine documentary oh, um, yes. called America's Only Rock and Roll Magazine. And I had the pleasure of having lunch with Jana Helsky a few years back and I'm just a huge fan of her and her writing. And a lot of folks may remember back in like 1975 while covering the rock band kiss, uh, they made her up in kiss makeup and she actually went on stage <laughs> with a band, which no one before or after has done, but that's the, you know, the dedication that those cream magazine, uh, you know, Lester Bangs and, and, and Marsh. and I mean, all those guys are just legendary. So if you want to, you know, you and I always talk about really cool documentaries and 10 times out of 10, it's you telling me about a documentary. And this is maybe the one time where I've seen a documentary a couple of days before you did.
0: I got to watch it. I got to watch it. And for sure. And if you weren't around when Cream Magazine was around, it was, and we were, before we got on, we were talking about how, you know, it, it's, 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 Funny to remember what it was like pre-MTV, pre-social media... When you're for you, know, you would just you were so thirsty to see what even a band looked like or what they moved right. like or something like that. And so, getting information about artists was hard. And and especially if you lived in kind of rural or semi-rural areas, you know, you had a couple of magazines. You had Cream, <laughs> you had Circus Magazine, Hit Parader, Hit Parader, and you would just go out and you would just not much else. You know, just ingest every bit of information in these magazines. And Cream. And when was, you
1: watch the documentary, you'll see musicians just like us or people just like us who were saying those same words that that was their lifeline, um, to, you know, Michael Stipe from REM said it basically changed his life and that's how he chose his career path was from cream magazine. And I told Jan, um, that I used to ride my bike like miles, you know, when I was in high school to get to the circle K convenience store in Salem, Oregon and I would pick up my cream, my circus, my hit Parade, and tuck them underneath my jacket so I didn't Mm -hmm. get wet in the rain and ride all the way back and I couldn't wait. And you and I were talking about this. It sounds weird, but we, you know, the first time I saw my first few concerts, I had never seen those artists move before because I only saw them on the pages of cream magazine. And I'll never forget. It was right before I saw my first concert, which was August 13th, 1977 cheap trick opening for kiss the week before I picked up the new issue of cream magazine because it had kiss on the cover and there was a big, they had just gotten back from Japan and there was this big coverage of them from Japan, but the story right before the kiss story was on cheap trick and I knew they were opening. So I read it and I'll never forget to this day. There's a line in that article that says, this is the next logical step for kiss fans.
0: Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and and the, it was. And the great thing about cream too, was it was, it was very, uh, smart assy, smart assy. Irreverent. S- yeah, irreverent. Thank you. That's really the word I was yes, for. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, it had a, a real, uh, kind of an attitude, kind of a mad magazine, smart alecky <laughs> sort of a thing. Yes. And so it was, it was very unique at the time. So, and, I, and I've, I've certainly, I've actually watched the trailer for it. I just haven't, you know, made the hour-and-a-half commitment to watch it, but I will watch yeah. it for sure. So. Yeah,
1: highly highly recommended.
0: Yes. All right. Now let's jump in to the first story. This uh, Introducing fans, Spotify Fan Study. And oh, really, so boy, um, I'm just going to start by saying, first of all, they do the most gorgeous <laughs> uh, documents and web pages and things like that. I mean, looking at the Fan Study, it's just... Whoever laid it out, it's beautiful. It's so visually
1: Great. appealing. The yes. only thing I've seen like this was remember a week or two ago, you and I covered Will Page's uh-huh. uh, Twitch Rockonomics. Yes, it looked like this absolutely, absolutely. and it made you want to read more because we're so punished each week reading, <laughs> you know, just white paper black text. And it's it's really challenging. And I always tell people, you know, when you're sending emails, have some visuals, have an executive summary, have some bullet points. Yeah. We're, there's this fatigue because it's just so much. And to your point, and I'll let you take the first one. To your point on this, it is just stunningly beautiful to look at.
0: It is absolutely gorgeous. So it's worth worth looking at. It's very, <laughs> and, and, and the information is interesting too, but it's, uh, and they keep it brief there and they isn't keep it brief yeah. two
1: pages of text it's like a couple of paragraphs of each one.
0: Yeah and then you can kind of click in and you can get get, yes. get more information but one of the first things they talked about was reach and, and now it's not clicking for me of course. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh this is it yeah so so one of the interesting things is uh, is kind of you know where where they are and maybe where you are where your stuff is. And they say, uh, you know, you might be surprised where it is. And they talk about Latin America's major cities consistently consuming the the most music, which is like, really? Why is that? And yet, well, who knows why it is, but it is. And so I think one of the big takeaways, and I'm going to go back to it here now because I just lost it, um, is, is you can basically view the data And so they talk about the total streams of new content, and it's laid out by city. Now, of course, they have Mm -hmm. Los Angeles, they have London, they have Chicago. The cities you would expect to be there, but Los Angeles is only four. The the top city uh, with with the top total streams is Sao Paulo, which is really interesting. And then below that, it's Santiago. And then Mexico City, then we get into L.A., London, Chicago, et cetera. So it's just, you know, it's things that you think you know, or you think you assume, um, but it's very, very interesting. And then it it doesn't go very far below Frankfurt, and then you have Istanbul and Jakarta and Buenos Aires. And so Mm -hmm. fascinating, really, where stuff is getting listened to the most.
1: Yeah, and it's evolving. If you look at this a year ago, two years ago, Mm -hmm. it was different. It's changing and evolving. Some cities are late to the party with streaming, um, some of them were early on to the party, so their numbers have kind of uh, leveled out. But it's it's really interesting. We'll dig into some more of these uh, amazing little tidbits that they, uh, they discover here.
0: Yeah, and it's just... Um, the, the, well, I'm going to take the next one, too, because I, I found this one incredibly interesting. The, the headline is, Lines Between Genres Continue to Blur. And so what they're talking mm-hmm. about is... Uh, you might be surprised by the other genres your fans listen to. For example, 53% of metal fans also follow hip-hop artists. So when you dig into a little bit of the data, you can basically, it allows you to look at, let's say you you are an electronica artist, or let's say you are an indie, or classical, or metal, or Latin, whatever. You you click that first, and then it shows what percentage of, of fans of that genre listen to other genres. And so I was kind of doing a mix-up on it, just just to kind of, you know, think think of the weirdest combination of things. But let's yeah. say let's say you're 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 an electronic artist, and then to me, um, uh, let's see what what is is very. Well, let's just go with classical. I guess that's not that dramatic, but if you're uh, if if oops, I just went to classical. Let's go with classical then. If you're a classical artist. And then what do you think the cho- the chance of, of country, of, of fans of yours going to country? You would think it'd
1: be low. Well, low.
0: Well, it's 17%. So 17% yeah. of people that listen to classical also listen to country.
1: Go figure. Well, that's a thing that I've noticed. You know, the first thing I do when I go to someone's house is I check out their record collection. Yeah, you know, of course. And, ju- and ju- judge them by it. Um, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. So, But one of the things you realize, and, and I realize working for record stores for eight years, is most people don't just listen to one genre genre and that's the common misconception that if you're uh, a country fan that you only listen to country um, most people listen to yeah. multiple genres, and I worked with Napster the before they were the legal Napster. I was talking to the uh, original Napster, and one of the reasons why they wanted to partner with BMG and others is because they had user data, yeah. and they could tell, for example, and they use this as an example, and it wasn't true, but it'll give you an idea of what they're illustrating, that people who listen to Metallica also listen to Lyle Lovett. Well, maybe we should put those two on the road together. That sounds absolutely absurd, but it illustrates the point that up until Napster, we didn't really know what the consumption was uh, to our, you know, for our fans. And now all of a sudden, we could see. And then Big Champagne came around, which mm-hmm. measured peer-to-peer and BitTorrents and file trading, and. Everybody threw Eric Garland out of the office until I think he got to Interscope and, and Jimmy Iovine, and Jimmy said, wait a second, you can measure what people are actually file trading by DMA, designated marketing area, just like uh, you know, SoundScan, sound scan. Mm-hmm. and that, that changed the game because they could look at that data and go, well, wait a second, we're putting out this single? That's not the single we should be putting out. Look at how everybody's responding to this other track. Mm. And it totally changed the game. So to land this plane, basically, people listen to multiple genres. I do, you do. Some people you know, will say that, well, you know, if you listen to jazz, you only listen to jazz. Well, that's not really true. I know some jazz musicians like uh, uh, Cameron Graves, for example, is a really amazing jazz keyboard player. I think his dad was an Oingo Boingo, and um, Cameron Graves is a phenomenal jazz pianist. He's in the West Coast Get Down. He's uh, Stanley Clark's keyboard player. He's one of those guys who's just absolutely amazing. You know what he does on the weekends? He plays in a heavy metal band. So, <laughs> well, and I, I think, love this. I
0: think the problem too is is especially in in our day, and I think still to a little a, a little bit uh, um, in terms of of major labels doing their marketing, they tend to just market to that. That basically yes. that basic genre, whatever the genre is of the of the material, and yeah. this really shows that um, people have just very diverse taste. As, as which is no surprise. And like you said, if you go to somebody's house and you look through their albums, you're like, okay, there's Kiss, there's Burt Bacharach. That's odd. There's you know, it's like it, it's. It's Donny all Osmond, the the Donny Osmond, in your case, exactly. Square <laughs> dance music, in my case, right I'm next to the checkered you. shirts. Um, so yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's really, I mean, it's just fascinating. If you're if you're a data geek, it's really fun to go through this and look at it and go, oh, that's yeah, that's really interesting and weird and wild.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the, again, Spotify is out innovating everyone, and they continue to do these kinds of things that really dispel myths mm-hmm. and educate us. So the next one, number three, is local music travels the world. You know, These days, regional genres are anything but that. Music is more global than ever, which means your audience may be in places you didn't expect. And I know this to be true from marketing my artists where you'll – we always say that a fan is a fan. It's more expensive to grab a fan, you know, let's say in the United States than it is in some developing uh, countries. But a fan is a fan if they're really engaged, you know, they're they're listening, they're commenting, they're forwarding, they're saving all of those things. This says here, for example, over 80 percent of K-pop, South African house, German techno and reggae listens happen outside of their home country. Um, you, you just kind of assume you know, uh, and they, if you go into the data, which we do here, uh, percentage of streams from outside a region, you know, uh, Latin hip-hop, 95%, over 95% happen outside of, of the region. And you just kind of go through, you know, K-pop, Canadian hip-hop, Nigerian pop, all the way down, and... Danish metal. You would think, okay, well, that's probably pretty focused on you know that area. Ninety-five percent is consumed outside of that area. Yeah,
0: and they have other categories I've never heard of: French French shoegaze, Icelandic uh, classical music, Uh, Canadian (laughs) punk, Swedish tropical house. What is
1: shoegaze? I don't well French shoegaze, whatever
0: that is. But it's ninety-five percent of it is outside of France, apparently. So um, shoegaze. Who knew? Who shoegazer bands? Yeah, remember wasn't like Blur and Ride and all those bands kind of considered shoegazers where they didn't they didn't really move around much, they just kinda stood on stage. Oasis,
1: stir your Yeah, Oasis. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So there you go. All right. (laughs) Go ahead and take number four. That's Number fun.
0: four, fans are coming into Spotify in new ways. So they say listeners are coming to Spotify from places you might not expect and listen to a lot of music after they do. For example, in one month, Discord sent over 800,000 listeners to Spotify who went on to listen to nearly 9 million tracks in just 14 days. So here are some of the weirder places that are pushing traffic to Spotify. I had to look this one up. Runkeeper Pro. Runkeeper is a is basically a, it's an uh, sort of an app for for runners. Uh they sent a their growth was 167% heading folks to Spotify. LinkedIn, go figure. 153% uh growth yeah. as as pushing people to which is like I don't get the LinkedIn to Spotify thing, but Whatever. It is
1: what it is, and that's yeah. fascinating. The ones that surprised me on here, I mean, RunKeeper Pro, you know, 168% growth. That's crazy. Um, LinkedIn, yeah, that kind of makes sense because I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn, and I've seen some music recommendations there that I've gone to. Discord makes sense. All my kids are on Discord. Snapchat, I was surprised at, you know, 35%. That seemed pretty uh, pretty high. What I didn't see on here was Twitch, which kind of surprises me because it's driving. Now people think of it as a gaming platform, and you, you and I have talked ad nauseum about how it's blowing up as a music platform. But um, and then newsletters, your morning coffee, weekly music news. For of course, music business, I'm just saying, uh, 27%. So, yeah, super interesting stuff.
0: I love the next one too. Uh, number five, they say a fan that will save a fan that saves your track will listen to it three times more than those that don't. So saving tracks shows that fans have strong intent to re-listen. It's not measured in days or weeks, but months. For example, six months after saving, a user typically streams you three times more than before they saved you. And I so agree with that. I do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I do come back to it after a while. I, I, I don't know about you, but I kind of will kind of save stuff and then at some point kind of go, okay, I really got to go back and listen to it, you know, and just kind of like spend a day or an afternoon. Yeah going back yeah. and, and and but and that could take me 6 months easily.
1: Yeah, I I built a uh, a playlist for my saves. So when I hear something really cool regardless of genre, mood, any of that, I just drag it into that playlist. Well, now it's like a couple hundred tracks. Yes. And what's really cool is I I I stopped listening to it because I kept hearing the same tracks and then I just did it on shuffle, you know, obvious, right? Yeah. And it really changed everything. I love release radar, I love discover weekly. Um, but I like this more cause it's really more, I know that these are the things that I've kind of discovered or people have recommended to mm-hmm. me and having it on su- shuffle. It's, it's just a beautiful thing, but I totally agree with this. And I would think for me, it's even more than three times more, but that's an interesting, interesting stat. Number six is user playlists lead to a lot more streams. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. mean, if you're creating your own, whether it's you know, your own music with some other things sprinkled in, whether it's a certain genre or mood. I've seen some really creative... I saw one this morning about um, songs basically to cry to. (laughs) It was targeted at younger people who are going through breakups and things like that. And the cover of it was uh, a woman crying and there was glitter in her tears and things. And the reason I noticed it is one of our artists was added to the playlist. And And I went in and it was beautiful. I mean, th- but it's, it's the, the title that grabs you. Yeah. You know, we, we did uh, a playlist for Rick Springfield a few years ago that got a lot of attention and it was songs to have sex by. And yes, that sounds crass, but, you, you know, it's not fraud, it's marketing. Uh-huh. You try to grab people's attention, right? <laughs> and he curated it. He picked out the songs. Oh. And those women were losing their minds, you know, grabbing that playlist. But yeah, absolutely. User playlists... I mean, if you were to send me a link to a playlist, I'm going to listen to that because yeah. we ha- we're aligned in a lot of our musical tastes. And you say, look, I created this playlist. And I think that's where it comes down to is that recommendation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, this is funny, too. Number seven, hardcore fans listen like crazy. Your biggest fans can drive a massive amount of streams. On average, the top 5% of your fans are listening to six times more than the rest don't forget to connect with your biggest supporters even as you chase new listeners and that's mm-hmm. huge again they, and they again they yes. break it down by genre uh and and the uh the amount of those those top 5% fans um how much they listen and like in the ca- in in the case of rock let's say it's 7.2 times more and so you know don't obviously think about those super fans which we talk about a lot
1: yeah yeah it's uh I love looking at all those different genres, um and sometimes it makes sense, but you know had the religious was the number one in that category, but I had read an article about um hard rock and metal, and how their fans are the most loyal fans of any genre, and they they stream more per capita, they stick with it, they don't listen to a lot of other things as mm-hmm. much as maybe some of the other genres. So I, I find that really interesting. Um, number seven, oh, no, we just did that, the hardcore fans. Number eight, update your profile before you release to ride the wave. But I've got a bone to pick. Okay, <laughs> Jay, talk to me. Well, you know, I love, and again, this is a Spotify thing, so we're talking about Spotify. Spotify. I love the Spotify artist page. I love that you can do things there that you can't do anything else. You can add 140 images. You can change the banner. You can change your artist image. You can change, you know, or you can add your social links and things like that. The bio. I I love that. But recently they did kind of a redesign. And now that artist page, all of that good information is at the bottom. And... I, i'm really disappointed in that because it was for me going to s- discover new artists that's the first thing you saw you saw their top five stream tracks you could click a button and it would show you the top 10 you could all of that stuff was right there with some tabs to where you could learn more about it and now it's just a little bit more challenging and I'm afraid that since it's not front and center less people are going to be engaged with it
0: isn't it funny how how this happens a lot in the digital age and the digital era, of course, is that things change. And I think as humans, we don't like change or, or changes can be jarring. And so I, I see this like I just, I, I was behind on my iPhone iOS update and I updated it. And of course, there's new things. Things are a little different. I'm like, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? <laughs> really? You needed to do that? You, and it's like, <laughs> So, so I, I get I it. I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I, I, that. That is kind of frustrating.
1: The bottom line here is you should update your profile, even though yeah. they did stick it at the bottom. It says the day of release sees a massive traffic spike to your Spotify artist page. But more than 50% of artists don't capitalize on this lift because they don't update their profiles after their release is out. Well, I can tell you every music marketer that I work with, know, talk to... This is front and center. And one of the things that Spotify did, which was actually a pain but ended up being a good thing, was when you do your artist pick, it drops off after two weeks. So you have to set an Outlook reminder and go back Mm -hmm. in there. And it kept – it was so smart. It was a pain for me because I'm like, oh, because, you know, like with Vintage Trouble, I wanted that get into trouble playlist. I want everybody who goes to that page to see that playlist. And every two weeks, I'm like, oh, I've got to go back in there and, and reattach this thing. But it got you looking at it going, wow, those are some older images. Maybe we need to refresh yeah, this thing, you know, that sort of thing. And, and one last trend I'll say on this artist page, which I thought was really cool, is I've noticed some artists, instead of just cutting and pasting their bio into the bio section, they're using that as a note. Hey, guys, this is Mike. You know, I've got this new thing coming out. What do you think about such and such? You can change that every day if you want. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can make that a thing. So... Um. yeah update your profile before release and, and Spotify please move that back to the top
0: yeah well and I want to skip down to it uh, you know, as, we, as we're kind of starting to wrap this particular th- thing up but one of the things that, which is of course if you're marketing music you should always remember this happens to be number 11 a release is never finished there are always ways to reinvigorate a track on average adding or updating a canvas on your track will increase shares by 10.7% Um, but listen, that's a a great average.
1: Yeah. If you look at pop, pop is double that. Yeah, exactly. Hip hop is almost double that. So, um, look the way that we do it, I mean, we could spend all day making canvases, those eight second looping videos for all the tracks, but we have far too many artists and far too many tracks. So what we're doing Mm -hmm. is any focus track that we have, Mm -hmm. we make sure that we have that. And then if we have the bandwidth, we can go on beyond that. But I, I concur with the data that they're showing that we find that our tracks with canvases definitely perform better.
0: Gotcha. What about on this one? Number 12 happens to be this. Your genre may hold the secret to more merch shale, merch sales. Merch preferences vary by genre. Interesting. For example, electronic music and country music sell the most hats uh, and they break it down by, again, you can, you can identify your, start with your genre and then you can see uh, what percentage of those folks of listening to that
1: genre buy yeah. vinyl
0: shirts, CDs, hats, outerwear, etc.
1: And it's fascinating.
2: Absolutely, it really is. It
1: surprised me some of these things. Like, you know, with country, the number one thing by far was vinyl, and that really surprised me. But you go to like hard rock and metal. Um, vinyl is number two. It's Shirts are, are number one. So you're absolutely right. You go to the different genres, and it'll surprise you what pieces of merch resonate more with those fans. And I didn't know some of these. I was really surprised. I thought, oh, it's kind of the same across the board. Everybody likes T-shirts. Everybody likes vinyl. Right. No, not so much. Some of these things vary quite a bit.
0: And then they also mentioned you don't have to be a superstar to be super good at selling merch. More listeners do uh, doesn't necessarily mean more merch sales. In fact, everyday up and coming artists on Spotify outsell even the biggest names in music, which is uh, again, it's like sort of counterintuitive, but that is the case. And again, they've got the data to back it up and it's just it's one of these things that are so fascinating <laughs> to look at and like wow. I, and, yeah. and it's it's really easy to just kind of get to go down this rabbit hole and look, oh at all my kinds gosh, of stuff. I
1: spent so much time on this thing and and I know you did too, and we highly encourage everybody to you know uh, check out that that first story in your morning coffee this week. Click on that link. go to that fanstudy dot by spotify dot com and just explore each little thing. It's so well laid out, so many great little nuggets and tidbits there. You'll find yourself taking notes. Um, super, super helpful. Uh, Spotify for Artists, man. They continue to innovate.
0: And it's beautifully laid out, as we mentioned. Beautifully. <laughs> so let's jump over to the next one, Jay. Uh, this is from Rolling Stone, actually. Who's the, yeah. who's the, who's the byline on this? I didn't, have, I didn't happen to not. Tim, Tim, Tim Ingham, Ingham, of
1: course. You know, he, who does music business worldwide, yes. of course. Yes, yes, yes. But
0: the, the, the headline of this is, The Fight Over Music Streaming Royalties Misses the Point. In the controversy over streaming economics, warring factions of the music industry are bickering over how to move pennies around a plate. That's maybe one of the best lines in this. I love it. Rather than how to expand the size of the shared meal. And, uh, you know, this again, this is something that we've been talking about ad nauseum over the last few months we have uh, and it's but it but it's you know it's going to continue for good reason absolutely for good reason and of course it starts with uh, mentioning about what's going in the UK which they've been gathering all of this information and evidence uh, from all sides of the record industry about how much streaming services pay out to artists with the general consensus that the royalties under the existing pro-rata model are way too low Results of the UK findings are due to be published soon as part of par- the parliamentary inquiry, which is the equivalent to our, our congressional inquiry, uh, into the economics of music streaming, and the whole global industry will be watching. Under pressure, Apple and Spotify have loosely agreed to consider alternative models, further fanning the flames. Now, what I liked about the article is, is clearly this is in Rolling Stone, so it's meant for a much general, much more general audience. Mm. And... Um, but he's saying you know that again what how do we really make change and i think that's our, our do you do you concur with him that we're kind of heading down the wrong path potentially
1: Well, we point out each week, and I I think it bears repeating this week, that the DSPs pay the rights holders, not the artists. So let's make sure that everybody understands that. So your payout is going to be contingent upon, you know, are you recouped? Are there, you know, co-rights, all of that thing. Okay, putting that aside, you know, he talks about this ER emergency, you know, that, you know, the loudest of the streaming must reform voices have been those uh, artists who feel ripped off by the current model. Um, the ER model, this um, equitable remuneration, um, which still seems like a weird word to me, um, would like to see Spotify and everybody else paying out royalties for lean back streams to a collection society which would then pay 50% of this money to artists directly and 50% to record companies. Wow. Um, that's There's a lot in that. But let me just say that if you sign an agreement with a, a record company and they're going to invest in you, and nine out of the ten artists that they're working never recoup, there's an investment that they're making, and they should be um, they should participate financially in that. So that's that's how I feel about that. The other thing that comes up in this article and others is things I hadn't thought about before, like the quality of the play. For example. If you get a song that's on a playlist and it's listened to on the ad-supported version of Mm -hmm. Spotify versus the paid, there's less of a payout in that. If it's non-interactive, there's a different payout than there is if it's interactive. So there are some complexities here. So I think the quality of the play matters as it does for music charts. And one of the things that they're talking about is should there be a higher payout if it's something... That is on a paid subscription, number one. Number two, should there be a higher payout if it's something that you're actually listening to and adding to your personal library that you're more engaged with? Mm -hmm. So these are questions we hadn't thought about because the streaming business has been around like a week and a half, and we're trying to all, you know, figure it out. Um, But there are things in here that you and I literally report on every week user-centric and I had a really good conversation with David Turner David Turner does that really great newsletter called penny fractions and Mm -hmm. I read it every week we we were talking on a zoom call this week and he works for SoundCloud and that's why he doesn't report on SoundCloud and you know he's a proponent and so is SoundCloud of the user-centric model Mm -hmm. and I was talking to him about some of these people who say that it's about the same you know if you do the math on the same it there's not a huge difference he begs to differ that there actually is a difference and for those who don't know user centric that's like if i listen to you know the accidentals all month long and i'm paying 9.99 for my subscription they get my 9.99 or their rights holder their label sure. does and then and they do it from that
0: what i the the, the the talking about this equitable remuneration again another word that we both stumble on it's it's interesting this kind of conversation about lean back streams and and which is they say streams that listeners don't actively select to play but are chosen by the platform or playlist what they're saying is that that is more like radio and so radio pays out differently and I, which we'll get into in a minute yes <laughs> we will another story yeah, on that. exactly but, but, but just to remind folks it's it's a little different in the u.s and we're gonna yeah that's what jay's talking about than it is around the world but around the world uh radio is paid basically 50 percent goes to the artist directly and 50 percent to record companies that's not entirely correct but, but more or less but i do kind of i i i it's hard to kind of Kind of say that's not a good idea. I, I that to me makes a lot of sense. That it is like radio when it's when that's happening, and we already have a, a very robust system set up for radio around the world. Why not just utilize that? Yeah, that's an interesting spin
1: on it. I, and I don't yeah. I don't disagree to be honest. Yeah, it's a different quality of stream. You know, if you're going to somebody's artist page and playing something deliberately, I believe that there's more value to that than listening to track 100 in a playlist with 200 songs in it. Exactly. In the background somewhere. You know, um, the CEO of SoundCloud, uh, Michael Wiseman, um, said, you know, that outside of uh, Bandcamp, you know, spending $100 online on my favorite artist right now is actually really hard to do. And he's right. You know, you and I talk about Tencent mm-hmm. and how only a third of their revenue uh, comes from the actual streaming, that the rest comes from, you know, fan experiences and merch and tipping and all of that. He's right. You know, the more super fans who enter a nine ninety nine dollars uh, you know per month and that's it streaming environment today, the more money the industry is leaving on the table. And and I, I totally agree with that. Um, the one thing that struck me about this um, article was outside of the article was really the comment section. Yeah. Um, and I encourage people to kind of dig into the uh, comment section. I won't go too deep into it, but a user named Mango said, this article totally misses the point. The overall pie of revenue in the music industry is actually growing at a rate that hasn't been seen since the early days of the CD. And the size of that pie is at the same levels that used to pay artists handsomely. Here's the deal. The record company or the record labels are profiting handsomely as owners of the masters which get a majority of the payout artists are left with a fraction and that's something you and I Mm -hmm. talked about you know a a second ago and then the other one from Hacksaw Harry Hacksaw Harry says sorry Tim but, but that just sounds like more of the same old model if artists are not getting enough of the share they need to work even harder to have an alternate economic income ouch
0: Yeah. And one of the interesting also lines it said, which I hadn't really kind of, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it, but part of this sort of equity, this equitable remuneration model they're talking about is that record labels are countering that the introduction of such a thing would shrivel the negotiating power of record companies like Universal Music and Sony Music versus the streaming services in licensing agreements. This is why the BPI, which represents major and some indie labels in the UK, has called this equi- uh, this equitable remuneration, a recipe mm-hmm. for disaster that would dramatically shrink the total pool of royalties available to labels and artists. I'm not sure I entirely
1: agree with that. Um, do you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure I t- totally agree with
2: it. Yeah.
0: but again this has support from Mark Art- Paul McCartney Chris Martin Stevie Nicks in favor of this sort of thing so you know it's it's a it's it, the article is great and it's really worth reading and kind of re- again looking at the different perspectives of everybody and and like you said there's still so, such conversations happening about, well, what would re- what would the differences really be if we change the way these these models are, are currently calculated? And yeah. um, I, 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 the more I read and the more I'm aware of this, the less I'm sure of anything being changed in the Me near too. future. Me too.
1: I think you just put it very well because it's more complex than what you see in the headlines. The headlines are, streaming services are screwing the artists. We're not going to take it anymore. And that sounds like how can you not get behind that? Mm -hmm. But then when you find out that the artists aren't really getting paid, it's the labels, and then you see that there's yeah, I mean there's there's so many complexities here. I'm glad that the UK Parliament is looking into this, and we report on that every week, and it's going to be interesting to see all the findings as they come out. But we are in the wild, wild west when it comes to how this is going to shake out.
0: Yes, and it is dense. I mean, just the, the when you start talking about these financial models and how it works, and uh, uh, at least for me, uh, you're way more well-versed in data uh, analysis than I am. But, I mean, at, at some point, fairly quickly in the conversation, my eyes just kind of start to glaze over, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's really dense, and it's deep, and we will continue to yeah. talk about it. That's all we, we can say. We,
1: we, we sure will, um, to be continued. On um, this next story, Music First warns Congress of radio's misleading narrative on rights to sound recordings. And I found this really fascinating because I had been reading um, some of these things. Um, Music First reacted to a letter sent by representatives um, Kathy Castor and Steve Womack you know, to their colleagues on Capitol Hill. And they actually have a link to the story. And you touched on it a second ago that we have different rules here in the United States than most countries when it comes to radio, right? We do.
0: And it's it's a bit of a scam to be honest. Um, you know, in in the UK How can you say or, that? Yeah, I know. Around the world for the most part when you hear a song on the radio, uh that song, the artist gets a cut and the songwriter gets a cut basically. Now, of course it goes to their labels and Publisher. their publishing deals exactly. Yeah. But yeah. generally speaking, that's the way it is. And the radio industry kind of, or maybe the recorded music industry kind of, you know, kowtowed to the radio business a long time ago. I want to say it was in the mm-hmm. 40s that these deals were done. Uh, so basically here, the only the only monies that are paid out to the rights holders by the radio stations, by radio stations again, this is not this is just for radio, is uh, to the songwriters. So the artists do not get paid at all for when their music plays on the radio in the United States. And so basically the, the radio, the broadcasters are saying, yeah, we want to keep that going. We don't want <laughs> to do what the rest of the world
1: does and pay well, artists. for obvious reasons, right? Yeah, exactly. It would mean s- a lot of money they would have to pay out. And just to be clear, we're talking about terrestrial radio, not... Yes. SiriusXM XM or Mm, uh, internet based. And if you look at that letter that they refer to, they have a link to it. And what's interesting is they kind of call out different things in the letter that are misleading. Um, so the first line in the letter says, we write to you to, or to urge you to join us in a bipartisan effort to support America's local radio stations. And they put in a little line here. It says, many, many radio stations are owned by mega media corporations. That is not, in caps, local. Um, and then it says... You know that serve each of our communities and opposes new performance fees or taxes on local radio stations. And they say to that, getting paid for your work and property is not a tax. (laughs) It is the opposite, right? So you go through, and I'm not going to go through every one of these, but I would highly encourage you um, to look at the letter and then look at how they've marked it up to show how maybe certain things – uh, are a little bit misleading, that maybe some of these things aren't taxes. They're really just like some of the other developed countries around the world that actually, you know, pay, you know, not only the artist, but pay, you know, the... Uh, I'm sorry, not only pay the publishing, but pay the artists themselves.
0: Yeah. I, I, it, 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 like all of these things, are, it's very funny. They call it the Local Radio Freedom Act. Uh, And again, (laughs) you know, the point is, of course, you know, so much of radio stations are now controlled and held by by just a handful of companies. And, you know, I think it's really it's a drop in the bucket, to be honest. But, you know, you these are radio stations that have it's again. And we saw this in the early days of the Internet, people wanting to come in and build businesses on the backs of content. And did but didn't want to pay for it. And this has been going on in the broadcasting world in the U.S. for a very long time. And I am of the f- opinion that it's time for them to pay up and join the rest of the world in how yeah. artists or or even, you know, or the labels are are paid for that content. I agree.
1: I agree. It used to be that that was a, a form of promotion. It was early. It was developing. But now it's not even... The top uh, form, they, they mention it here... Um, that they object to the assertion that the letter that FM and AM radio is the quote-unquote top source of how new artists are discovered. In reality, um, music first countered that creators are much more likely to be discovered on sites such as streaming platforms or digital platforms like YouTube and TikTok. Absolutely. absolutely. I don't know if their argument still holds the kind of water that maybe it did at one point. And look, I don't blame them for not wanting to pay out more money you know it's a business but at the end of the day to your point what's fair is fair brother
0: yeah absolutely absolutely well and but this by the way they've tried to knock this out a long for a long time and, and 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 change these rules and and it it seems to fail every time so i'm hoping this time it's uh, well, this would this would kind of lock it in, basically. I think that's the yeah. gist of it is it will, you know, it keep kind of keeps getting reviewed. But we'll see. I hope I hope this does not pass. And I would encourage any elected official to kind of see through this and, and
1: yeah, and not and our. It. I I actually skipped the story that was supposed to be the third, which is now going to be the fourth, is a big announcement this week about, you know, Apple announcing spatial audio with Dolby Atmos. And I really want to get your take on this because you were the one that turned me on to Dolby Atmos. And I was fortunate enough to accompany you into the studio with Greg Penny. The first time I had ever heard Dolby Atmos. And, um, you were there, you saw it. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. I had never heard anything like that before. And we've all heard quad and we've all heard, you know, surround Surround sound sound. and SACD and DVD audio. And there's some beautiful sounds and all of that stuff, but not like this.
0: Yeah. It's so well, immersive audio is, is, is really kind of what, what it's the reference has been going around. And it really is that it's, it's so immersive and, You know, like you said, there was quad back in the 70s, and then in the early 2000s, we were both involved in surround sound, you know, the remixing Mm -hmm. of of, of audio to surround sound. But that was basically 5.1, so you had five speakers and a sub with which to kind of place things. But Atmos gives them so much more flexibility in the studio. It's... It is
1: basically well, you just all hit around it. you. You. Ju- you just hit it. it. You could place things through those speakers, have certain things coming out, like the horn section might be coming out of the speaker behind you and the drums in front and things like that. But the way that you described Atmos to me is it's more like you go to a movie theater, which uses that technology, and they place the sound as objects and they might put something above your head or perceptually or you know, right in front of you or below you and when you hear that, that's really more like a live experience. It really felt to me like uh, the first song um, I listened to was a, a Beatles song, and I really felt like I was in the room, they, That, like I was sitting in the middle of a recording studio as they were recording it. Mm-hmm. And it was it was stunning. And I don't know if they can actually replicate that. We were in the studio, you and I. I don't know if they can replicate that with you know the different players. I bought the Amazon one. Mm-hmm. Um, and played some uh, Atmos tracks through there, and it certainly didn't have that same... It sounded wonderful, but it didn't have that same thing that you and I experienced. The same spatial thing. And
0: listen, no. it, it will get better over the years, uh, you know, as, as those... Um, as those kind of codecs improve, in terms of how do they translate what's what is truly that spatial audio in the studio to to systems that that don't have the same kind of components in it? But it's yeah. really interesting that Apple is gonna is gonna support that, and I think it's fantastic. And I think you know, to be fair, I think the major labels have done a horrible job of marketing it, of really trying to trying to get it to the party and get people to know about it. It is, and potentially is a niche. Category for music fans, but w- yeah. once you listen to it, you get it. And again, you know, we I, th- I think in the recorded music industry, we we don't pay attention enough, and we're going to think talk about that. You know, we've talked about that before. To that kind of that uh, to appreciate and, and pay attention to niche categories, they're yeah. very important, and yeah. it's really these super fans that we're always trying to reach and always trying to. Um, to cater to and very important part of the industry, but we don't do a great job of it. It's nice to see Apple kind of stepping up and making it a big thing. I'm kind of surprised price-wise that it's going to
1: be more or less. That's that's where the backlash was. I think this week, you know, look, Amazon has been ahead of the pack when it comes to high quality, you know, Amazon HD, ultra high quality, CD quality. They were a little bit ahead of everybody. I know there's really great, services out there like cobuzz and hd tracks which i absolutely love um but the thing that kind of upset some people and caused amazon to change their tactics was that apple's doing this without adding any charge yes. and one of the ways that we can pay people more for streaming is is to charge more for streaming which i believe we should it's been 9.99 from the beginning um these streaming companies aren't making a lot of money from this it's the rights holders the labels that are but it's worth more and it should be you should charge more for it and what upset a lot of people was that apple added this functionality added this coolness and didn't raise the price it's all with a regular price so at the same time Amazon lowered their HD price from 14.99 to 9.99 yeah. and that's not the direction we should no. have been going in no. my humble opinion
0: I agree and the thing about spatial audio and Dolby Atmos is and this is so important to remember is you know you can't you can't go cheap on this and and if you want it to to get that experience of truly immersive audio, you have to have an experienced engineer go in and spend the time to do the like work. Greg right. Like Greg Penny, like our good buddy Greg Penny. Um, you know, the, the the I think the labels are trying to kind of say, well, let's give let's give any anybody can go in and do this. Well, that's not exactly the way it works, and they want to spend very very little money. Um, to, to invest in it with with indiv- with engineers and producers, like, you know, we'll give you a few hundred dollars. Well, it's like, it, it, you know, to do it right takes time. And you have to have the experience and the ears and the equipment to do it right. And it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure if you don't invest the time and the money into making these songs and these albums special by spending the right amount of time and money to make yeah. it special it's not something Ooh. that can be done quickly you can't put it into a box and have it convert and suddenly it's yeah. there, there well, are you've d-
1: spent a lot you've spent a lot of time around this and i'd love to ask you can they make that big sound that we heard in the studio can they get close to replicating that in headphones and earbuds and smart speakers what do you think? They can they can get
0: close-ish. I think with headphones it's going to be easier because obviously you have things attached to your head. Um, Sony is working on some technology for that, um, and like everything, I think um, it, 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 it will be okay when it comes out, and then it will be further refined, you know, over time. Like every technology, I do think we'll get there. We'll be pretty darn close, pretty darn close. It's not there yet. Yeah, I think it'll get there. But it's like you know, we, we were, I shared with you that. Um, there's some some AI technology that you can take standard deaf or st- standard deaf video or or um, ba- you know basically old school resolution of photos and ups- upscale it basically and it looks pretty good um, it doesn't yeah. look epic but it looks good but I think again that technology will continue to improve and it's the same thing with this and and I think we'll get there but I just hope this time we get to really have immersive audio choices that will stick around because we spent a lot of time and effort on it in, in the early 2000s yeah. with surround sound and yeah you know we didn't do a good job of marketing it and that's no
1: and it sounded wonderful when you and I great. were working on things like SACD and DVD audio i remember picking up crowded houses first album which is one of my all-time favorite albums putting it on because i had 5.1 for my television like mm-hmm. a lot of people do to watch movies for that great sound i put it on and it sounded wonderful and i couldn't understand why there wasn't a bigger marketing push and education process because i really felt like that was the next step it wasn't it wasn't just having more speakers it was the way that they separated the different tracks beautifully and this just takes that to a whole nother level so let's not f this up no
0: exactly well and, and and not only are the are the is the recorded music industry sort of uh, has a a horrible history of of rolling these things out, but also the electronics folks do too. You know, at that time, the obvious place to listen to uh, immersive audio is in your car. Um, but you need to get all of the CE companies, the consumer electronic companies, and the folks that are doing those OEM stereo systems for, auto, for the automobile companies, you got to get them in line as Can't well. Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just get along and think this thing through and recognize that it's got to be a group and team effort to, to get folks interested? And it's also got to come from artists. Yeah, and I think the labels aren't doing a very good job of of marketing to their own artists about the importance of this. So, yeah, I got my fingers and toes crossed, um, but but the history of that is pretty ragged, and I'm not sure that uh, it's going to change. We'll see.
1: Yeah, as Rachel Maddow says, watch this space. <laughs>
0: That's right. And on that note, Jay, you're, you've you got a plane to catch, so we I need to do. wrap up this um, episode.
1: I hope this works. I know we had a little bit of a bug early on there, but hopefully uh, it worked out. But uh, always a pleasure. And for those listening, please subscribe to Your Morning Coffee. Just go to yourmorning.coffee. Easiest URL on the planet to remember. And if you're not subscribing to the newsletter, please do. Tell your friends. And thanks so much for joining us. And thanks to our sponsors. Right, Mike? Absolutely.
0: Bands Zoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town. Without them, we could not do it. We certainly nope. always appreciate their uh, their support, and it's a big deal for us, and we say thank you. So thank you all for listening in as well, because your support is so important to us, and we truly, truly, truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to Jay and I wax poetic about things that we are passionate about. So yes. Jay's going to catch a plane. I'm going to edit I this am. together, and you all have a wonderful week. We will be back next time with episode number 42 on the Your Morning Coffee
2: podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.